0: rotation of preachers but oh my goodness how Donna and I miss being with you on a more regular basis we're so glad that we can be here with you this morning and I want to share with you something that somebody sent me in an email some time ago it's about a little boy he wrote our teacher asked us what our favorite animal was and I said fried chicken She said I wasn't funny, but she must have been wrong because everyone else in the class laughed. My parents told me I should always be truthful and honest, and I am. Fried chicken is my favorite animal. Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened, and he laughed too. And then he told me not to do it again. The next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite animal was. I told her it was a chicken. And then she asked, just like she asked all the other children, why it was my favorite animal. And I told her it was because you could make it into fried chicken. She sent me back to the principal's office again. He laughed and told me not to do it again. I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. The next day in class, my teacher asked me to tell her who is the most famous, the the famous person that I admire the most. And I told her, Colonel Sanders. Guess where I am now? The little boy in the story found himself in a place that he did not expect. Are you somewhere that you, you didn't expect that you would be? Have you found yourself needing strength that you never thought that you had? Did it take you by surprise when suddenly you were a caregiver? My focus this morning is going to be on those of you who are providing care for someone else, especially if you are a primary caregiver in a situation that you did not anticipate the principles that we're going to review from God's Word this morning will apply over a wide range of circumstances so if you're not a primary caregiver right now you're still going to find some principles to benefit these principles will help you if you're coping with job stress family strife health challenges a financial crunch and many other difficulties I chose to focus caregivers because this is what we need at my church Uniontown Church of Christ is located just south of Fort Wayne and it is everything that you would think that a small country church ought to be we have a white frame building with a steeple on top it's got a working bell and a cemetery right next door since January three of our members have died Now, they've all been grandparents, and they've all come to the end of their earthly journey in their their walk with Jesus Christ. And we rejoice that now they're in the arms of Jesus. But it's been a really difficult time. And every one of those people had somebody in the church who was their primary caregiver. Through all of our ministry, Donna and I have worked with people through lots of difficult situations. We've been with people when they were in the hospital and then when they got back home. We've been with families through funerals and troubled teens and family conflict and financial crisis in everyday life. Sometimes people ask me, how do you cope with those things? And that's that's a good question. How does... A minister continue to minister. How does your pastor, Ben, continue to, what is it that pastors do? Pasteurize? I don't know. How (laughs) How does a pastor's wife cope with that? How do you cope with all of that? Like the little boy who liked fried chicken. Are you someplace that you never expected to be? Some of you fill the role of caregiver. Others may soon be filling that role. And if that's the case, then this sermon is for you. Everyone in the room probably knows someone who's providing care for someone else. There's an outline in your bulletin to help you share the principles that you learned from God's Word today with someone else. When the time comes, where will you find the strength that you need? When you're caring for someone else and your strength is exhausted, who will care for you? This morning we're going to examine several Bible passages. There's an outline in your bulletin and under each point there's listed... A Bible verse and I want to encourage you to turn to that ahead of time because they're going to come and go pretty quickly and I want you to have the opportunity to read God's Word from your very own Bible we're going to see some examples and we're going to find some instruction for those who need to be strong for others so I want to ask you to find first Kings chapter 19 I chose to discuss these verses from the life of the great prophet Elijah first because the principle is so basic and yet, from what I see, so very often ignored. And this principle comes from one of my very favorite Bible stories in all the Bible. Elijah had just been through an intense conflict. For three years, there had been no rain in Israel, not even dew. A few years ago, Indiana went through a terrible drought, but nothing like they went through in Israel with no rain for three years. Donna and I lived in the Fort Worth area for five years. We were there for the second longest drought at that time in Texas history, and it was really frustrating to hear the weather person say, now you may have seen some clouds in the sky today. We went 80 days. With no rain at all. No measurable measurable precipitation. And the weather person would say, they may have seen some clouds in the sky, and actually it did rain, but the water evaporated before it hit the ground. That was frustrating. But three years, and it came at God's command. The prophet Elijah prophesied that it would happen. The extreme drought was God's punishment on the people because they were worshipping a false god known as Baal. Now some preachers pronounce that Baal. My Hebrew professor in college grew up in Georgia. So I pronounce Hebrew with a southern accent. They were worshipping Baal. And during that time, the pro- during the time of the drought, Elijah stayed with a widow and her son. And you might consider him Their primary caregiver. After that, he had an encounter with Ahab, a very, very wicked king. That meeting resulted in a showdown between Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. I don't have time to tell this whole story. So I encourage you to go home this afternoon and read 1 Kings. It's a fascinating story. Elijah won the showdown. 450 false prophets were put to death. And Elijah ran a great distance in fear of his life. And that's where most preachers quit. They think that's the end of the story. When in fact, that part of the story is the background It's the setting for the real meat of the lesson that is about to come. By the time Elijah reached Beersheba, he was physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. Let's read about that. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, if we go back to verse 8 that we just read, we'll read that Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights. So what did he do to go from completely exhausted to ready to travel on foot for such a long distance. First of all, he slept. We're not hearing so much about Ebola in the news right now. Some of that has kind of faded away. Ebola was never, I don't think, a real threat as an epidemic, but here is a threat of an epidemic in the U.S., and that is lack of sleep. Anytime anybody does a poll... A majority of Americans report that they do not feel that they get enough sleep. So, Elijah slept. Second, he ate and drank. When you're physically exhausted, you're putting your health at risk. That is obviously unwise. We would do really well to go back to the Gospels and look at the pattern of Jesus. From time to time during his earthly ministry, Jesus would withdraw He'd take his disciples to what is described as a lonely place where they would rest. It's obviously unwise to put ourselves. At risk by pushing too hard. If that's not enough to slow you down, remember that you cannot be strong for someone else if all of your strength is gone. Rest, wholesome food, and refreshment not only give us the physical strength that we need, they will also revitalize us emotionally and spiritually. When Elijah reached Beersheba, he was not only physically tired, he was emotionally Drained. Go back to verse 4 of 1 Kings 19. Where it said, He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now, I want to preface what I'm going to say next by telling you that ancient and modern Jews consider Elijah to be the very greatest of the prophets. This great prophet of God was depressed. So if you're depressed, I want you to look to Elijah's example and encourage you not to think that you are strange or sinful or or weak, Some of the most influential people in all of the world have suffered from depression. For example, Winston Churchill, former prime minister of England and probably, probably the most influential man of the 20th century, suffered terrible chronic depression. There are people who disagree with me, but it's my opinion that the Apostle Paul suffered depression. As did Elijah. Now there are many other causes of depression. But one of the contributing factors to Elijah's blues was his physical condition. Our physical and our emotional states are very closely tied together. To provide for Elijah, God sent an angel to feed him. I've been fed by an angel for the past 34 years. Donna takes very good care of me. She makes sure that I eat well. She makes sure I get enough rest. She encourages me to exercise. There's something else to learn from Elijah. And that is this. Don't wait too long. Elijah went until he completely collapsed. Emotionally, physically, and very nearly spiritually, I think. My friend Chuck runs marathons. He trains nearly every day to run a marathon. But he doesn't run a marathon every day. Running a marathon every day would not be training. That would be suicide. And there might be times that from you, there is a marathon effort required. And you may have to go until you drop. But you can't do that every day. So, my advice to you is don't wait for things to get better. Don't wait for things to get worse. Don't wait for that next vacation. Maintain good physical habits every day to keep yourself strong. Don't you put yourself in the position of a man that I saw on a YouTube video last week, <laughs> he had—he was being chased. It was it happened in Los Angeles. He was being pursued by police. They assumed that he was a drunk driver. The man uh, looted police, driving in front of them, until evidently his car ran out of gas. So he opened the door and began to push the car down the freeway. The cops just laughed until finally he quit, and then they arrested him. Now you're thinking about that. That just doesn't make any sense. And yet we've got people in the room who are doing something very similar. You should have taken a break a long time ago, but you just keep pushing. And it isn't helping anyone. You will not be strong for others if you don't take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. One of the most effective ways to keep ourselves well-fed and rested is to lean on good friends and family. I'm trying to see. Oh, you can see that all right, can't you? Can you see that all right? Okay. Lean on good friends and family. Do you know what a nanosecond is? If you've got a computer background, you probably know a nanosecond is a second, one-sixtieth of a minute, divided into a billion parts. They use it to measure time in computer processes. Let me give you another definition of a nanosecond. A nanosecond is how long I would survive without the support of my family, my church family, and my friends. Solomon. Solomon. The wisest man who ever lived understood our need for each other. This is what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Please don't try to be strong by yourself. I'll tell you honestly, the greater challenge that I face in ministry is not people who ask for help. I can deal with that. The greater challenge is people that need help, but won't tell us what they need. They won't ask, and they won't accept help. Donna and I put this principle to work some time ago. I had been at a week-long event for college teens, Christ, or Youth for, Christ and Youth, Youth for Christ. Anyway, big week-long event for teens, and on Thursday morning, I ran into a youth minister that I know, a young man that goes by BJ, and I said, BJ, how are you holding up? And on Thursday morning, this young youth minister said to me, I hit the wall. I'm exhausted. Oh, I understood very well what he meant, because being of greater experience, I recognized it when I hit that wall the day before <laughs> That was Monday through Friday. Got home very late Friday night. Four hours later, my stepdad died. By Wednesday, Donna and I had gotten into a pretty good pattern of daily activities and getting our sleep and that kind of thing. But on Thursday, we both hit the wall. And we made a phone call. We called very good friends who had retired To a lake home. And we asked for help. And they invited us up. And the next day on Friday. We went to their home. Put us out on the pontoon boat. Took us to a fun little restaurant. Right on the lake. And then we just spent the rest of the afternoon. Touring two lakes. A day of pleasant conversation. Enjoying the water. And we were rejuvenated. The next day our energy was restored and we were ready to serve our Lord effectively. Please accept the instruction of God's word. Two are better than one. It might not be a boat ride, but right here at Prairie View, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who have resources and who want to help. One more lesson from our example is that we asked for help. Our friends that we called were ready to help. But they didn't know that we needed help and they didn't know what to do for us until we asked. We want to help. Ben and Olivia want to help. Your elders want to help, but we don't know what to do if you don't tell us. You will make life much more pleasant for those who are supporting you if you will choose to have joy in all your efforts. Providing continual care for someone can be unpleasant at best, and sometimes the circumstances are very difficult. Sometimes the disease Makes a, pl- a patient burdensome. Sometimes the person is obstinate and stubborn. In about 1995, it was necessary for us to move my grandfather to a nursing home. His first roommate was a very unpleasant person. He constantly used foul language with the nurses and the aides, and the aides. He even cussed me out, and people usually don't do that until they get to know me. no one wants to be around a person like that and as bad as he was making it for the people around him he was making his own difficult situation even worse even in the most painful circumstances we can choose to have joy and in the most difficult task we can choose joy Mary Poppins said just a f- spoon full of sugar helps the medicine go down And that is sound advice, not because Mary Poppins sang it, but because it's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Paul endured suffering beyond what I can imagine. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was hated. He was slandered and much more. And yet he continued to choose joy. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now you may be able to identify with the Apostle Paul. He felt that at times... He was being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. What he was saying was he just felt like he was being used up. And not just used, but he was being wasted. His life, his energy, his time, his resources were all being poured upside down and dumped out. And none of us like to feel that our time, our resources, our life Is being wasted. And yet, even in all that, Paul chose joy. It was an experienced hand that wrote those words do everything without complaining or arguing. That's not easy to do. Still, if you choose, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can have joy even in the most onerous. Situations, And one of the ways to have joy is to choose to work for your Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 were written to slaves. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever He does, whether He is slave or free. I know that there are times when you get fed up. If you don't get fed up, you are a rare individual. You get fed up with your work. and You get fed up with your family. You get fed up with your life. And if you're providing care for someone, you can just get fed up with the person that you're helping. There may even come a time that you decide that the person that you are sacrificing so much for is just not worth the trouble. He or she is stubborn, rude, and maybe worst of all, does not appreciate your effort. You might be feeling that you've given up weekends, gone without sleep, walked the extra mile, practiced the patience of Job, and just been wrung out like a wet towel. And your reward is a request for more. Or a complaint that you just can't ever get anything right. So here's my advice. Quit. Don't lift one more finger for him or her. This is what I suggest you do. You go out and you find yourself a new boss. And I would suggest that you work for the Lord. Let's look at that word Lord for just a moment. If we're going to serve a Lord, that suggests submission. We have a master. Or we have a boss. Some people don't like that idea, but this boss, this master, this Lord, loves you so much that He gave His life for you. He was executed on a cross because He loves you. That's the kind of boss I can work for. And it's very likely... That this new boss, this new Lord, is going to command you to stay right in the circumstances that you are in. But you're going to be working for a loving, compassionate master. Choose to work for the Lord. Work for Him because you love Him. Suggestion five is simple advice don't try to carry the weight of the whole world on your shoulders. You can only do what you can do. I go back time and again to a statement that the Apostle Paul made. He said that he carried the problems of all the churches. Every church that he planted, every church that he had it connected to, he carried all of those problems as his own. Now, here's what I think. Again, it's my opinion. But I think when Paul got to heaven, (laughs) he and the Father had a long talk about that. I can tell you that the pressure of just one church is enough for any one person. Concentrate. On your responsibilities, do what you can do, and then leave the rest to God. And that leads us to the most important guideline for all of us. Trust in God. Second Timothy chapter 4 at verse 16 says, At my first defense no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. You will experience what Paul did. People will let you down. Those good friends that you lean on may someday be unable or unwilling to bear your weight anymore. God sends them and God uses them as His tool to minister to us. But our final trust must be in our Father in Heaven. Let's go back to Elijah. a very good example of that his trust was in his God God told him that there would be no rain and Elijah trusted that message enough that he went public with it Elijah stood outnumbered 450 to 1 because he trusted in his God Elijah pushed himself Until he could not go anymore. And his God proved himself to be trustworthy. And we serve the same God. We have the same Savior. And I'm confident of this He will provide for you. He may not send an angel, but then again, He might. And it might be that He's already provided what you need right here through your Prayer View family. So I plead with you, before you get to where Elijah was, before you collapse, before you get to the end of your rope, before you give up, Talk to one of your elders today. I want to invite the music team to come and get ready to leave us in a closing song. And while they're doing that, I want to tell you that I have been blessed by getting to know your elders. And I know this about them they are compassionate and they are kind. So I want to encourage you to find one of them before you leave today. I want to skip ahead in the life of Elijah. You remember that Elijah was the one that God sent a chariot of fire for. And then took him to his home. Took him to God's home. Jesus is going to come for us. But he's not going to send a chariot. He's going to come in person. And he's going to take each one who trusts him to be with him. Are you trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? I want to offer the same invitation. Find one of your elders before you leave today. Tell them you want hope. Tell them you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today.